0: Chapter 5 of The Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. Chapter 5. An Hour in a Wine Room. By eight o'clock the approach to the bridge on the Gotham side was literally jammed with animated humanity. Thousands were pouring in and as many flowing out each one with an alertness that would dampen the faith of the reader in the extravagant articles describing the sweatshops and their work-to-death employees. Every lady that came skipping down the gradual incline was given a searching glance, but not one answered to the description of the young lady that was photographed on Paul's mind, and none of the vast army of feminine arrivals paused on the threshold of the bridge. Paul tried to give his friend Bob a description of May, but in the undertaking he found he was sadly deficient in his knowledge of her outward appearance. You will never be able to find her in this crowd, finally spoke up Bob. Why, that young lady coming this way, the one with a feather duster in her hat and a freckled face, might be she, and you would never know it. You forget, she has my picture, and will no doubt study it before starting out. She could not pass without seeing me, knowing I am here. Then you are merely depending upon some strange creature in petticoats to come up and claim you and carry you off, suggested Bob, laughing heartily. If anything like that happens, I am going to follow you. "'All right, Bob,' replied Paul. "'I'm an approaching female.' "'Suppose she is afraid to meet you and she sends the cook in her place,' said Bob presently, trying to look serious. "'I do not anticipate running up against the kitchen mechanic tonight.' "'No,' interrupted Bob, consulting his timepiece. "'It is past nine now and I don't think you will run up against anything. "'From Brooklyn.' "'Don't let me keep you, Bob. "'I am going to remain here till ten o'clock anyway.' "'Oh, you can't get rid of me so easily, Thornton.' I have dreamed of this meeting all day, and have pictured the thrilling scene with such an excited feeling that I imagine I am a part of the circus. No, so long as you stay, I will remain by your side. I can't afford to miss the first act in the extravaganza. Another half hour of fruitless but anxious waiting, and their fond hopes were rapidly diminishing. Along about this time, a young lady came in from the street, walking leisurely, and gazing at the two young men as though looking for someone. She was rather tall and stout, neatly dressed, but oppressively homely. She paused at the window opening and looked out on the side street. "'The cook!' exclaimed Bob, nudging Paul. "'I've a mind to speak to her.' Paul said nothing, and Bob and the silk-adorned creature began flirting, continuing until disturbed by the arrival of a watchman, whose legal authority gave him the privilege of an unwelcome and not altogether pleasant scrutiny. Bob gave him his card and explaining the situation as suited his mind, he said nothing and passed on, but in the meantime the woman had disappeared. Paul finally gave up all hope of meeting his idol, and suggested a retreat, when two tired mortals slowly wended their way out of newspaper row. She has played me false, Paul said to himself, utterly crushed with disappointment. She refuses to meet me, and he trudged on quite out of humour, trying to solve the reason for her perfidy and evasion. Two hours of precious time wasted, said Bob, breaking the silence as they passed into the bowery. That was a play with thousands of actors and actorettes, but not a single villain or a Juliet. Let's go to a real playhouse. I prefer a show where they charge admission and throw in a chair. I'm tired. Awfully tired. Paul made no reply to Bob's jocularity, but kept on in silence until they reached Costa and Biles' music hall. An hour at this place relieved Paul of his melancholy. At midnight found him at his hotel busily writing a letter to the young lady who had treated him with such contempt. He slept late the following morning, and when he sauntered into the hotel office at ten o'clock to get his mail, not a familiar face was to be seen, and he was free to peruse the one solitary letter that was handed him over the counter. Although he immediately recognized the writing on the envelope, and was confident that he was in possession of an apology from the woman who had deceived him, he opened the envelope with great calmness. I was detained, she wrote, and I hope you will pardon my seeming neglect in failing to keep my appointment. I will be at liberty this evening. And if you still desire to meet me at the same time and place, inform me by telephone. And believe me, dear Paul, I am, as ever, your faithful and devoted friend, May. Confound the girl, commented Paul. Do what she will, I can't get rid of the fact that she will always occupy a place in my heart. I have tried hard to give her up, and only this morning I thought I had succeeded, but her letters have a fascination about them that I can't resist. I confess that I have a great desire to meet the woman to whom I have written hundreds and thousands of pages. I may never have another opportunity. She was detained and will no doubt explain her absence satisfactorily. Of course she will. I might have known she did not purposely fail to keep her engagement. She wants to see me, else she would not have written. No doubt she is keeping the facts from her friends and could not get away. She will be at liberty this evening. Hello, came the feminine response from the Brooklyn end of the telephone wire. I would like to speak to Miss May Temple. Wait one minute, please. Hello. Is that you, Miss Temple? Miss Temple is talking. What is wanted? Who is this? I have a message for you from Mr. Thornton. Why a message? He is not ill. Nothing wrong, I hope, was the excited response. Prostrated. Is he dangerous? Tell me quickly. No, not dangerous, but delirious and talks of nothing but you. If you would only come... I will go at once. Where can I meet him? You will find him on the New York side of the Brooklyn Bridge. "'answered Paul with a ringing laugh "'that convinced his audience of his pleasure "'in conversing with the young lady "'whom he had renounced a few hours ago. "'Oh, you mean thing! "'My, but you gave me a shock. "'How could you?' "'Forgive me, May,' he pleaded, still laughing. "'I am so weak I can scarcely stand. "'Oh, but that was a fright. "'I won't be able to receive callers today. "'Then come over and spend the day with me. "'I would like to. "'No, I can't get away before evening. "'Are you sure you will come this evening? "'Sure.' Will you wait for me? I have been doing that for nine years, of course I will. All right, you may depend upon me. Ta-ta. Bye-bye. She comes, Bob, whispered Paul, throwing away a freshly lighted cigar. Which one, the tall young lady that comes tripping this way, he asked? Verily, Bob, it is she. I'll bet you the opera tickets for a week that you are mistaken. Paul advanced a few steps as the object referred to approached. As she passed, she looked him straight in the eye, a meaning smile haunting her pretty features. Without stopping or speaking, however, she glided by, and a moment later was making her way up the incline towards the waiting room. "'No more doubts or fears or difficulties, old man, your hour of triumph has arrived,' said Bob. "'I will linger in the neighbourhood until the curtain rises, and will then leave you to your fate. I congratulate you, Thornton. She is a daisy. Good night.' "'Goodbye, Bob.' And Paul flew in the direction of the waiting room, to find a handsome young lady standing in the doorway with a smiling welcome in her pretty face. May! Paul! They fell into each other's arms like old-time lovers. If Paul's thoughts and feelings could have been transferred to paper, you could have read happiness and enjoyment in every line and sentence. "'Where shall we go, May?' pleasantly inquired Paul, when he had released the bundle of loveliness from that first long and loving embrace. "'I have not thought of anything beyond our meeting.' Let me think, it is late for the opera or an outing, we could go to the music hall. Paul was surprised at this suggestion, but he was powerless to reject any proposal she made, and he allowed her to lead him where she willed. The young lady took him for a man of the world and could think of no better place to spend an hour. They were given a box, and when a waiter came in she unhesitatingly ordered wine. Paul thought she gave the order very much like one accustomed to the manners and ways of the place. He kept his suspicions to himself, however but was greatly astonished when she gave a second order. This was followed by a third, and Paul was becoming disgusted with her. He frequently referred to their past, and several times attempted to introduce the subject of their correspondence, but for some reason wholly unaccountable to Paul. She would shift the conversation to matters of the present, the stage, the audience, and other minor and even frivolous things. Presently a gentleman entered their box, and although he was intoxicated, he was manly enough to recognise that Paul was disturbed and was on the point of retiring, when the young lady glanced towards the visitor, and a smile of recognition brought him back. A friendly greeting followed, and Paul was introduced to her tipsy friend. He took a seat in their box and ordered more champagne. "'Mr. Thornton will take a cigar,' explained the young lady. "'It seems,' she continued, "'he was here last night.' "'And does not care for wine this evening. I know how it is,' interrupted her friend. Paul was disgusted all along, and he was out of patience. He longed to say goodbye to May Temple.' That she was a beauty Paul could not deny, but even her pretty face and charming manner were sickening to him now. Possibly this may be the New York way, thought Paul, but it is not my style. But for the memory of those old letters I would leave here. They finally became so boisterous that Paul excused himself for a moment and left them alone. He glanced into the adjoining box and, finding it empty, quietly took possession. He was able to hear the following conversation. From the country? I thought so. Friend of yours, I suppose? By proxy. "'Come again, please?' "'I will tell you,' she began. "'This fellow is sweet on one of our lady visitors from up the country. "'It seems they have corresponded for years "'and last night was to have been their first meeting, "'but she had company and failed to reach the appointed place in time. "'Well, this morning I overheard a conversation over the telephone "'when another appointment was arranged for this evening. "'Unfortunately, as our guest was descending the stairway "'on her way to meet our good-looking friend, "'by the way, I wonder where he went,' "'going to the door and looking out.' Her foot stumbled and she tumbled downstairs, and she was picked up in a state of insensibility. When she was brought out of her swoon it was found that one of her legs was fractured, and she was, apparently, suffering untold agonies. Between you and me, Howard, I don't believe she was hurt very much. Candidly, I am of the opinion that the fall and pretended illness was a put up job. She didn't want to meet my young companion, but wanted a tangible excuse. What gave you this impression? broke in the stranger. Because she called me right away and asked me to meet him. "'With an apology?' he interrupted. "'Well, yes. I was to try and see him and explain her absence. "'She gave me a minute description of her lover, "'even to the cut of his coat, style of hat, and mentioned his curly hair. "'She surely could not have been so well informed of one she had never seen,' he put in. "'As to that, I couldn't say. "'Anyway,' she continued, "'from her description I had no trouble in recognising him, "'and, Howard, he is a nice-looking chap, isn't he? "'Well, when I first caught his eye, he immediately took me for his girl.' and when he came up and embraced me so sweetly and was so sure he knew me, I just couldn't tell him the truth. You don't mean to tell me. Oh, I'll tell him by and by. You are a brick, Rose. Let's have another fizz. And while they were cracking another bottle, Paul Thornton was making his escape, and he reached his hotel in a very unsatisfactory state of mind. End of chapter 5. Recording by Julian Prattley.